chapter 4. I really appreciate the focus of the songs tonight, and I, I thought about this closing special. Wasn't that beautiful? His spirit. In Ephesians 4, I'd like to, I'd like to lift one verse. We're going to work in this chapter a little bit tonight, but a verse that you all are very familiar with. Verse 30, and it just simply says, uh, uh, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. That's, that would be the text. Now, if you, if you know this passage of Scripture, you know that uh, the writer to the Ephesian church is giving them clear instructions about what it means to live in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's life in them and through them. He, he says in verse 17, Therefore I testify the Lord that you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened. And then in verse 19, he, he talks about them being past feeling. And then in verse 20 of that fourth chapter, he says, But ye have not so learned Christ, and then he talks to them, in ver beginning in verse 25, about, about what it looks like to have Christ living in them. And then, he, and then he sort of startles us by saying, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. You know, it's interesting to me what that phrase means. Uh, because for years, that was really subjective to me. Does that make sense? Is there, you know, can I misspeak? And grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, I don't think so. He's not, Stu Weber, Weber talks about his, his father, his father, Stu's father, and his grandson, or Stu's son. Stu was across the country serving in the Marines, and his father was acting as the male figure in, in his, his son's life, Stu's son's life. And they happened to be one day wrestling in the in the floor when little Kent's finger scratched grandpa's eye and uh, you know sometimes we need a little dramatics to get our kids paying attention to us so he rolled over in the carpet and buried his face in his hands and started howling oh my eye my eye my eye and uh, little Kent was about three and he'd been around a little while and he he looked, looked at his grandpa, and then he reached down and tried to pull his hands away from his face. And, of course, he didn't have the strength to do that. And finally, he rocked back on his heels and said, Oh, Bumpa, be a big Bumpa. <laughs> he, he'd been around long enough to know how men ought to act. Well, I've been around a few folk who, who that, that's sort of the sense they, they had of the Holy Spirit, but that's not who he is. He is not some offstanding sort of crotchety old man that we have to walk on tiptoes to appease. In fact, he's an active, he's, he's an active member of the Trinity. The process of our redemption is wrapped up in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They planned that, our, our redemption. Of course, you know Jesus Christ came to be our Redeemer the Holy Spirit was given to us to infill us and lead us and work through us. He is, the, he is the spirit of influence and power 
and presence and transformation in the church. He works toward righteousness and away from unrighteousness. Always, where the Spirit of God is working, there's a path. There's a clear path toward righteousness. Notice the revelation of his person. He's identified here as the Holy Spirit of God. The Barnetts were just singing about the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, the same Spirit. You see, the Spirit came down from the Father, and one of the, one of the New Testament writers describes him as the gift from the Father. His name identifies his person. His person distinct from his gifts. I think sometimes the church gets wrapped up in what he does for us and we forget who he is. You ever watch the little child at Christmas and they get so wrapped up in the gift they don't have a clue who they came from. And uh, grandparents are sitting there thinking, that, you know, tomorrow he's not going to have any idea that that came from me. Well... If we're not careful, we do some of the same with the Spirit. We seek Him to get what we want. But that's not the focus. The focus is on who He is. He is a person. I've been, I've been doing a little reading recently, and it surprises me how many professed Christian organizations have a clear misunderstanding of who the Spirit is. He's, I just read one large organization who, who considers him simply an it, just an aspect of God. That's not who he is. He is a person. He may be grieved. Here, right here in this text, he may be grieved. He, may, he, he will lead. Remember that uh, Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit. He said he will lead you into all truth. He, uh, he instructs, remember he instructed the New Testament church, he, he set people apart, told them to send them out as missionaries, he instructed them, he rejoices, he works, his presence is in our lives. He, the Holy Spirit comes as part of what God's doing in us. He comes to, we could spend a long time here, but to lead us. He convicts. He convicts. I hear people say the Holy Spirit's not convicting anybody anymore. Well, I don't know where you are, but he is in my world. I had a fellow, I shouldn't start telling stories, should I? I had a fellow catch me at a camp meeting a few years ago, and, uh, and, he, and he backed me right up against the wall, and he kept saying to me, I want to ask you a question. And, and he was in my space. You know, you, you understand that? And I backed up till I couldn't back up anymore. And finally I said, well, ask it then. <laughs> and he said, I want to know if God's doing anything in your world. Well, I was glad he asked then. Because I stepped into his space and I said, yes, he is. And he said, well, he's not in mine. And I said to him, then change worlds. Get in a different place because God's working. He still convicts. That's one of his primary purposes is to convict the world of its unrighteousness, wickedness. He convicts and, and he counsels and he, 
and he converts and he cleanses and he comforts and he encourages and he influences and he fills. Do you know him? Do you know him? You ought to know him if you don't. But notice as well the, the lessons of his work. What does he come to do? The whole purpose of his work among men, if you will, could be captured in two or three thoughts. One is he, he's active in the ministry of godliness. Wherever righteousness and godliness and truth is going forward, the Holy Spirit's there working. He's influencing that. He's also active in the world of, of love and grace and mercy. I'm thankful that he's had, he's had, he had mercy on me. I'm thankful for his grace. He's active in the world. We mentioned that he convicts, he comforts. But he, the central thought of his work, again, is found in his name. Notice, notice it says, the Holy Spirit. And then, and then it says, whereby we are sealed unto the day of redemption. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? The, the sealing. His great work on earth is to bring people into conformity with the person of Christ. To make you and me look like and live like Christ. To fit his image. Again, for, for many he is the agent of emotion and he does bring emotions. He, he stirs our hearts and stirs our minds and stirs our lives. But far more important than what we feel is where is he, where is he taking you? What's he producing in your life? He, he identifies himself as the, as the person emanating holiness, the Holy Spirit. One writer said it this way, he is the power by which God wills to communicate to man his own life, that is to say his holiness. You see, it's, it's his work in our lives that create righteousness and truth. It's not your efforts. It frightens me when I'm around people who for all appearances, it looked like their righteousness rises out of their own efforts. That's frightening to me because that's a, dark, that's a dark place to live. But where the Holy Spirit's working, he naturally produces righteousness and godliness and grace. His holiness, his love, his happiness. The Son works outwardly in our lives. The Holy Spirit works inwardly in our lives. A.J. Gordon said it this way, the Holy Spirit by his divine inworking has or will complete in us divine likeness and perfect over us divine, divine dominion. In other words, he comes to mark us, deeply mark us, with, mark us with his presence. So let's go back to this little thought, whereby you are sealed. Verse 30 of this fourth chapter, the last part of that verse. What is, whom, whom seals whom? If you have your Bibles open and you care to go to it, go, go to John chapter 3. The Gospel of John, the third chapter and the 33rd verse. John 3, 33. John Baptist is speaking here. And notice what he says. 
He that hath received his testimony hath set his seal that God is true. John Baptist speaking. He that hath received his testimony hath set his seal that God is true. The NIV says it this way. The man who has accepted it, the testimony from above, has certified or sealed that God is truthful. So who sees, who sees, pardon me, who seals what? That, that's the question. In John chapter 3, you seal what God promised to do you has been done. You ever been around somebody that, that found Christ as their Savior? What do they want to do? They want to tell somebody. They heard that God promised that he would forgive their sins, and they want to tell somebody their sins are forgiven. What are you doing with that? You're certifying or sealing that what God testified to you he would do, he did. He kept his promise. When's the last time you told somebody about what God's done in your life? It's good occasionally. It's good occasionally for you to be reminded, and it's good occasionally for the other people to hear it. You say, well, they all have heard it. Well, keep telling it. Let me, let me go on a path for a minute again. I was in a convention a little while back, and a speaker, a speaker was speaking who knows us well, the conservative holiness movement. And when he finished speaking, he, he said, I, want to now, I just want to talk to you. When he finished his lecture, he said, I want to talk to you for a few minutes. And one of the things he said to us was, don't, don't stop having public testimonies. And then he told us this. He said, I, I teach some 300 college freshmen every year, and not 10% of them believe in evangelical conversion. And it's a Christian college, and they come out of Christian homes. And he said, the last number of years I've been researching why these kids who come out of Christian homes, Christian churches, and attending a Christian college don't believe in evangelical conversion. They don't believe lives are changed through the power of the gospel. And he said, here's what I've concluded. They never hear anybody talk about it except the man in the pulpit. They don't know somebody in their life who's told the story of a transformation. And he said, you, you need to have your people tell their story don't tell us about your aches and pains. Tell us about what God's done in your life and what he's doing in your life. Because it's good for me to tell my story, but it's also good for you to hear my story. One of the joys of being a child growing up in the church is I remember my father was not very articulate, but I love, I love to hear him try to tell what God had done in his life because it marked him and it marked me. You see... We testify that what he promised to do for us, he has done. But here in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, he says that he's talking about the Holy Spirit by whom we were sealed for the day of redemption. That's an interesting thought. I love that thought. The seal of the Spirit on your life. Let me illustrate it this way. If you go to a mid to high-end uh, stationery store, generally up at the counter, as you're checking out, they'll have, they'll have a little display of sealing wax and a little marker 
And in the old days, in the old days, 100 years ago or more, that, that sealing wax and a stamp was a sign that business had been done officially. If you were to go to an attorney's office and have him write up a document for you that you needed, he would fold that document and put it in an envelope and then he would heat a little wax and drop it on where that envelope closed and stamp that with his stamp. And it would mark that envelope that had been sealed by an official. Well, if you will, that's what Paul is trying to tell us here. Where the Holy Spirit is, where he's working, the lives he's working in, you're carrying in your life the mark of his presence. The imprint of the Holy Spirit's life in you. You don't have to worry about grieving him when you're carrying him with you. It's his presence, it's his influence that marks our lives. It's his purpose to come and so imprint himself into your life that everywhere you go, you carry the mark of the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? What does his influence in my life look like then? First of all, there are some things his influence turn us away from. First of all, he tells us in, in verse 22, and then he, he touches on it again in verse 17, that the old man needs to be out of our lives. Now, that's sort of the crude way of saying we quit living the old life. That's not some entity that he takes out of us. It's a change of direction. It's a change of purpose. The old world that we lived in that ceased to exist. God's given us God's given us where I pastor when I'm not doing whatever else I do, a, a, a brand new family, Kyle and Amber. Kyle spent 12 years in prison. And a few Sundays after they started attending, we had him over for dinner, and I wanted to, I wanted to kind of check out his history. And so I asked him a little bit about his past, and he said, oh, I spent 12 years in, in prison, but that's in my past. That's not who I am anymore. You see, he's put off the old man. That, that world's gone. Some of you need to decide that's the end of that. I'm going to live for Christ. Amen. And then he talks to us about, he talks to us about living away from untruth. Verse 25, he says, put away lying. Speak the truth with his neighbor. Don't be angry. Or be angry. Imagine saying that in Holiness Church. Be angry and don't sin. You know, let me stop here for just a minute. Much of my growing up years, I heard preachers say, if you're entirely sanctified, you never get angry. And then I started reading the scripture and I realized that that's not accurate. Y'all still here? My Bible tells me to be angry. There are some things we ought to be upset about. We've become so placid that we can't, we can't get distressed when there's something really wrong. We just slide that off to the side and act like it doesn't matter. God cares. Now, there's a difference in carnal anger and righteous anger, a huge difference. And what he's inviting us to here. Is, is, away, is away from the things that are unjust and unrighteous. Be angry at the things that are unjust and unrighteous. 
And then, he, and then he talks to us about living honestly. In other words, he says it in the negative, don't be dishonest. And then he talks about clean speech. Well, we need a little of that even in some church circles, don't we? Yes. You, can't hardly, you can't hardly turn the radio on. I was listening to the radio today. I had to change the station. It's like, wow, I, I, it's been a long time since I listened to anything like that. And I hope it's a long time since I, before I hear it again. He talks about corrupt communications. Now, that's not just dirty speech. They're, corrupt con, con, communications can also be saying things you ought not say to people that ought not be said to. And then, he, and then he talks to them about attitudes. I have to confess to you that this is where the Holy Spirit had to work in my life the most, was attitudes. But he will work on your attitudes if you allow him to. He talks about bitterness in verse 31, and he talks about wrath. What's the difference between anger and wrath? Wrath is... Wrath is... is, is an attitude, a, a deep-seated anger that wants to find a way to get revenge on someone or something. That's different than anger that bubbles up because of injustice. Wrath wants to hurt someone. And he talks about clamor. That means confusion. The Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. Wherever he works, he brings order and peace and direction and hope to a person's life. And then he talks about evil speaking. And the word there is blasphemy. You know, you don't, you, you can blaspheme another person. You don't just blaspheme God. When you evil speak, you're blaspheming. These are the things that grieve the Holy Spirit. Dishonesty, wrath, blasphemy, malice. We're called away from those attitudes. And then he invites us into something. He invites us to attitudes and actions that are pleasing to him. He talks to us about Verse 1 of chapter 5, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and has given himself for us. Listen, if you love someone, you're not going to evil speak about them. If you love somebody, you're, gonna do, you're not going to tell a lie about them. You see... Talks to us, he talks to us about the importance of being kind, verse 32, kind and tender and forgiving. Are you acquainted with the Spirit? Do you know him as a gentleman? He'll work in your life as long as you let him. He will. Initially, he comes in forgiving enters our lives in the process of forgiveness, what we call salvation. And he works there, drawing us to an awareness of the need for entire sanctification 
And then he brings us to a moment of crisis where our life is entirely his. But that's not where he stops working. He keeps working. Uh, keeps working. Are you allowing him the full influence of your life? I have to confess that uh, you'd think by now I'd have figured some things out. But, but uh, just today, my wife reminded me that I still need the Holy Spirit to lead me. I think it's a little, I'm excusing myself, okay? I think it's a little from the pain and the medication that I'm on. In fact, last Sunday I was preaching and one of my ladies said, you're on prednisone, no, no wonder you're preaching like that. And I, and I said to my wife later, she's going to pay for that. <laughs> but, but boy, the last few days, I have been incredibly impatient. And I don't even realize it until suddenly Melba says something. It's like, oops. But I want to stay tender yes. to the spirits working in my life. Yes. I don't mean, I'm not talking about walking on tiptoes. I'm talking about living your life, but living it conscious of his work and his presence, his love and his grace and his mercy. Are you allowing him to influence your life? He will if you'll let him. Some of us kind of grew up with the idea that if we're entirely sanctified, he just suddenly slapped us into righteousness and we don't have to worry about anything for the rest of our lives. Well, he does purify our hearts by faith and perhaps we'll talk about that again. But it's a life. It's a relationship. Yes. We're living in relationship with him. Yeah. And he wants to. He wants to lead us and influence us and guide us. I am eternally grateful for people in my life who modeled what I'm trying to preach to you tonight. I don't know if, I know Dennis Cable remembers Raymond Edwards. I don't know if Brother Copeland remembers him, but Raymond Edwards was my Sunday school teacher. And uh, my life was a little confused, and I'm not going to get into that except to say that except for the influence, ex my parents loved me and, I'm not throwing off on them, but except for the influence of some significant people, I don't know where I'd have ended up. But Raymond was a just a neat guy, but he was he he decided to take the junior boys clap class. I don't know why anybody in their thinking mind would do that. The junior boys. We would run up to our class, which is a second story window, a second story room and uh, make paper airplanes out of the lesson leaflets and see who could fly one the farthest. And uh, that we, we were in all kind of mischief. But he, but he was there every Sunday teaching us, influencing us. And almost, almost every Sunday, somewhere in the lesson, it was never ritual, but it was just the sense of God's presence in that man's life. He would stop as he was trying to teach and he'd begin to weep and he would say, boys, I want to tell you that maybe it was Wednesday, maybe Wednesday at noon as I was praying for you, 
the Holy Spirit told me I want, to, I, want, I want those boys to know that I love them. Wow. That marked me. Yes. Week after week. A man whose life emanated the richness of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The power of his work. Oh, I don't mean there was an, some sort of supernatural aura about him. Raymond, was he loved to have fun and he was down-to-earth guy, but, but he knew God. And the influence of that life marked me. I had the privilege of telling him before he passed, one of the reasons I'm in ministry today is because of a Sunday school teacher who cared about a bunch of boys who had no interest in what the lesson had to say. They had a lot of interest in mischief. But the Holy Spirit knew how to use a man to mark us. And almost every young man in that class is a believer today. The Holy Spirit loves you, cares for you. He wants to work in your life. Burnett's come. Let's sing something in closing. Just, let's stand together and sing. Bless you all. Thank you for being here.